Hello guys, today I'm going to read chapter 3 of the Shakespeare Stealer. So here I go. I had no notion of where I was being taken. We headed south out of Berwick, past the slate-roofed house of Mr. Cheney, the wool merchant, past the old mill, past the common fields. I had been south as far as Wakefield. Beyond that, my geography was unreliable. I knew if one continued south a week or so, I would end up in the vicinity of London. But I was sure this man, vicinity of London. But I was sure this man was no Londoner. Jugging from Dr. Bright's accounts, the men of London dressed in splendid clothing, all ornamented in embroidered and embroidered, and spoke in a civil and cluttered manner. They lived in houses ten times larger and grander than Mr. Cheney's, and consorted with ladies and elegance and beauty. I, I had a hard time watching this stranger's face. He never looked back to see whether I was keeping up or whether I was following at all. Yet I was sure that if I took it into my head to sleep, slip off to the dark woods, he would know at once. Besides, there were the woods. There were there were the woods themselves to be wreck, 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 wreck. Or recount them about. About Berwick, the woods were tame. The trees were broad and widely spaced. Sheep and pigs grazed on the swards among them. And, and on my rare free afternoon, I had walked there without fear. These woods were dense and dark and dreadful. To run there would not would be like jumping into the fire to to this to to escape the cooking pot those days i had heard concealed every unsavory brigand and every ravenous beast of prey in the shire until nightfall when they ventured upon out upon the wood roads such as this in search of victims i shuddered and breaking into a trot closed the gap between myself and the strange in the and the stranger's horse when i grasped the frame of his saddle i could shuffle along with less effort Still, I was not used to physical exertion, and the pace took its toll on me. I summoned enough breath to say, Will we be stopping for the night then? The man twisted his saddle and glanced down at my 
at my hand, clutching the frame. I was afraid he might push me away, but he faced Fran again. Speak when you are, speak when you are spoken to, he said in a low voice. We pushed on long after the last light was gone from the watery sky. I hoped we that we might put up at the king's head in Wakefield, but we passed by without pausing. From there, the road was unfamiliar to me, though its ruts and rocks felt all too familiar. The bottoms of my shoes, which were thin as paper, grew wrapped. At, at last, I trod on my sharp stone, a sharp stone that pierced the leather sole and the sole of my foot as well. Gog, Gog's blood, losing my grip on the saddle, I fell to my knees on the hard dirt. The stranger wheeled his horse about. Silence, he hissed. You, you'll have every cut, cut purse within a league down upon us. Sorry, I whispered. I've cut my, I've hurt myself. He sighed in disgust. Can you walk? I tried to place my weight on the injured foot. It was like stepping in a knife. I wish not. If I give you a, the flat of my blade, can you? I considered a moment, then took a sharp breath. Nay, I still was not. I he reached out for me an instant to instantly I ducked. Give me your hand, his voice was harsh and impatient. Hesitantly, I put my hand on his. Despite the calm air, his palm was hot and dry, like that of a man with a fever, and his grip was painfully strong. He lifted me bodily and dragged me across the horse's flank until I, I could swing one leg over the animal's haunches. had scarcely settled in before we were off again at a quicker gait than before. I dropped my bundle in my lap and clung desperately to the saddle frame. After a time, I relaxed a bit and even felt drowsy. My head dropped forward and came to rest on the stranger's damp cloak. He jerked violently, as though bitten, and I sat abruptly erect again. Despite all my care, this happened several more times. Finally, the man snapped. Either ride properly, or go back to the shank's, shank, shank's mare, meaning, of course, my feet. As the night advanced, the air grew more chill, which helped me, which helped keep me uncomfortably awake. In the small hours, 
we came upon an inn. My master took a room. I was given the pallets on the floor and was wakened long before I was ready the the following morning. A loaf of bread and some cheese served as, as both breakfast and dinner. Each was eaten uh, unceremoniously upon the back of the upon the back of the horse. We paused once in the afternoon to allow the animal to drink from a stream. I barely had time to soak my swollen foot before we were again on our way. When night fell, we were once more beset by the woods on either hand and no set settlement in in sight before or behind. What drove this man so, I wondered, to risk his life and mine on a high road after dark? We Were we too near the end of our journey to stop? At the preceding night and day, I had been in a sort of daze brought brought on by the aberrant change in my circumstances. Now I was beginning to come out of it and and hun hundred thoughts and questions rose in me, none of which I dared to give voice to. All I could do was that I had always done, wait and watch and and hope for the best. The trees edged in and threatened to claim the very road. In places, their branches met above our heads and interlaced, nearly blocking out the light of the half moon. In one such dismal spot, we got our first taste of trouble. There was no warning one moment. The road was deserted dappled with moonlight. The next half a dozen shadowy figures stood before us. I stiffed, and a gasp escaped me. Instead of turning back or spurring the horse in a bid for escape, the stranger reined in and slowly approached the bandits, who stood in crescent, blocking the path. Most were armed only with staffs and short swords, but one man of imposing stature held a crossbow leveled at us. Hold! The stranger let his horse advance until we were nearly, nearly abreast of a big man. God rest you, gentlemen, he said. In a surprisingly amiable tone. The big man, crowded by our horse, let his crossbow drift to one side. Don't tell me you are a person. Far from it. Good. I don't like doing business with... Um... Don't tell me you're 
of parson. Parson. Far from it. Good. I don't like doing business with parsons. We're too parsimonious. He gruffle. He gruffle would at his own joke. Well, let's have it then. Have what? The stranger asked innocently. The big man laughed again, and this time, his companions joined. Joined in. Have what? A says. Have what? Why have? Um. Why have a pot of ale with with us? Of course. More su- soberly, the man said. Come now, enough pleasantries. Ple- Let's have your purse. The stranger reached inside his cloak and drew out the the purse with which he had brought me. It was still heavy with coins. Forgive me for not taking your meat. Oh, I said the big man. The big man said, Ah. And you forgive us for taking your money. The stranger leaned down as if to surrender the pouch, but instead he swung it in a sudden arc and struck the bandit full in the face. The man staggered backward; his crossbow loosed its bolt, with which flew wild. I gave a cry of dismay as the other thieves sprang forward, but the stranger was ready. The hand, the hands that he had held the purse, an instant bef- before now gasped his rapier. He kicked the nearest man, man stayed beside and gave him a quick thrust to the throat. The a second man's sword. He deflected with his cloak and set the man reeling away, clutching at his bloody face. He seized the blade of the third man's weapon in his cloak-wrapped hand and yanked it away. I, meantime, was struggling with a one-armed ruffian who had latched on to my tunic and was trying to pull me to the ground. I clung tenaciously to the saddle frame and kicked at my assaultant, but it was no use. My small strength gave out, and I toppled like a wooden bird, wounded bird, from my perch. Failing about, failing about for something to break my fall, I fastened on the neck of of the one-armed man. He cursed and stu- stumbled backward, and we both crashed to the ground. A rock struck my elbow, numbing my arm. I did, I did even more damage to the bandit's head, and he lay suddenly still. I dragged my limp arm free and got my got to my feet to see the stranger dispatch the last of the outlaws. With 
a sweeping blow that knocked the man into the road where his companions lay in a various altitudes and degrees of unconsciousness. The stranger guided the horse to where the crossbow lay. With a flick of his blade, he he severed its string, then lifted his fallen purse with the point of the sword. He he shook a single coin from it and tossed it at the feet of the big man who sat roughly holding his jaw. If this is the toll road, you might simply have to- told me. The big man let out an umbrant laugh and groaned with pain. Would, would that you had been a parson after all. Several of the bandits had begun to come around now. Could we go could we go on? I pleaded. The stranger twisted about impatiently, and grasping the back of my tunic, hoisted me up behind him. Though I kept a wary eye on the thieves, he did not deign to glance back even once, only when they were well out of sight did I breathe easily then again. What you did back there, I've never seen the light. The stranger was silent a long moment, and he said gruffly, You were told not to speak unless spoken to. So that was chapter 3. Bye, guys. See you later. See you later. See you later. See you. See you later. Bye, guys.